Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV Awards editor Libby Hill. Welcome back! And TV deputy editor Ben Travers. And from Central Park and Avenue 5, Josh Gad! <laughs> Can you imagine if you put him in there, though? <laughs> you just, like, put him... Yeah. Yeah, we'll just we'll edit like Josh Gad Like, from this in. morning. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll edit footage of from Josh Gad from an undisclosed location. A millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Guys, we were all up this morning at 8.30 a.m., which is fine. It's a normal time yeah. to be up. We've been at work for like two hours, whatever. I think it's a perfect time to do this. I, I always give the Emmys props for, for doing their nominations at a reasonable hour Pacific time because it's still a great hour Eastern, like on the for New York, like they still get the full news cycle, so... And nobody's up at 5 a.m. to cover this nonsense and get grumpy, so... Yeah, we've been talking around it, but this morning were the Emmy nominations. We've been talking about Emmys the past six weeks with you guys predicting what you think might get nominated. And the day finally came. There you was made a ra- some predictions too, Leo. There, I yeah, did. Leo. Let's not talk about that, though. Let's talk about the fact <laughs> that I am sitting here. I'm sitting here with two of the three people that had the highest score amongst the experts on Gold Derby. How'd you guys do it? Was it my help? No, I probably yes. hurt you guys in the long run. <laughs> I I can guarantee I could not have done it without you, Leo. Without your um, without your connection to the to the common man, I don't think I would. I think I would have lost touch and drifted off That's into the so hemisphere. And just never been able to predict something like what we do in the shadows, which you didn't predict. Yes. <laughs> yep. That's the one. Regardless, you guys did a, a fantastic job, represented IndieWire incredibly well, and just proved how, how well you know this industry and why you are the gold standard for Emmy and television predictions the worldwide. You know, I, uh, I don't think it counts if you're shirt. the only person that says that, Leo, but I appreciate <laughs> it all the same. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our <laughs> recap of the biggest news items from this past week. And we're only talking Emmys this episode. This is an Emmys podcast now. This has, this has nothing to do with the fact that I can't think about anything else right now. That, like my brain has no capacity for other news. So, Well, I just wanted to touch on two things uh, that sort of the very top line things. Uh, Netflix topped HBO in total nominations. Uh, obviously, some of this was due to the fact that there was no Game of Thrones final season to sort of buoy HBO's total noms. Um, but what did you guys think of this uh, Netflix taking the the crown back? Seems inevitable. I mean, at at the same time, you think about how much content Netflix churns out. Like one sixty seems a little low. <laughs> like, what's that average <laughs> per show? Like. Point zero 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 eight Emmys per show and like HBO it's like yeah we get like three Emmys per show three Emmy nominations per show um I don't know if I'm looking straight numbers that's what I'm taking away from this and, and not I a single written... nomination for r- the wrong Missy which is upsetting didn't qualify <laughs> by their and own the... fault Netflix chose for it not to qualify and are the Witcher no... Yeah, The Witcher uh, yeah. is is mourning right now. We'll get to they that didn't later. Toss a coin to the song. Like, come on. No, I mean it's 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 unsurprising. This will be the way of the future. I mean, at the very minimum, is the fact that there's no way that HBO can keep up with the amount of content that Netflix is putting out on a daily uh, on a literally daily basis. But also, it gets into the distribution and acquisitions, and it's it's a very complicated thing. They want to uh, people. It's very easy to be like, Netflix got 160 Emmy nominations, but 
it's far more complicated than that. And um, yeah, at this point, I feel like it's kind of like internet streaming got 100, 200 nominations just in general. Yeah, and like know. Disney, Disney sent out a, a big release talking about all of the brands of the Disney portfolio that got nominations. And then, so it had a grand total of somewhere in like the 140 range, I think, is what they ended up coming up with. But they also had to clarify when they were listing individually, like which studios got how many nominations that you can't add up those totals because they overlap with each other. And it doesn't like, it's just a mess. So it's, it's extremely complicated. Libby, your article puts it very, very well. Um, and I will provide a few quick hard numbers for you because they came out shortly Please. after your like shortly uh, after that yeah. ran. Um, Netflix ended up with fifty-one Emmy-nominated programs. HBO had twenty-one nominated programs. So they have m- way more nominees because they have way more programs. And then Netflix averages about three point one nominations per nominated program while HBO averages over five nominations per program. So it's, it's like, it is a, it's a numbers game when you look at it strictly that way. Um, but when, when you're looking at HBO, their reputation for quality is what has always been most important, and it's completely intact. Like, it's, it, that's exactly what they're offering all the time, and they still are. And, right. you know, like they said a few years ago, we'll see what happens when the gold starts being handed out. Lest we forget, Netflix has never won a series, uh, limited series, drama series, county series. So. Uh, well, that might be a great segue to this next point, which even though oh, I am, even though I am the Rube, my favorite show of the past year was Watchmen. And guess what? <laughs> I, thought, I really thought he was going to say Witcher. I really, really <laughs> thought that was the transmission. No, I was going to, I was going to mention uh, Watchmen topped the list of individual shows with 26 nominations. Uh, coming in second was The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel with 20, and then Ozark and Secession rounded out the top three, as it were, with 18, um, Mandalorian 15, Shit's Creek 15, Saturday Night Live 15, Crown 13, but those are sort of the big, the big shows, but what do you think of that split? What do you think of those shows that are at, at the top there in terms of nomination count? Limited series is always kind of fun to look at, uh, especially when they go all in on something because they are very clearly aware that it's their it's it's a one shot stop. Like this is this is one shot. Like this is their only shot. I, they treated it very much like uh, they kind of treated Fleabag last year. They were like, well, if we want to award this, we're awarding it now. Like there's no second chances unless you're Big Little Lies, and you know what? Second chance didn't work out very well. I had never in my wildest dreams imagined that Watchmen would 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 grab 26 nominations for those keeping track at home. That's a mere six nominations, uh, fewer than the last season of Game of Thrones, which is bananas. And I don't know. I'm happy to see it. I'm I, I'm happy that they didn't uh, that voters didn't shy away from the topic matter or um, you know that it wasn't easy watching. Even from a prediction standpoint, I think you mentioned this before we started recording, Libby, that you always have to buoy your expectations on a show that you love, like Watchmen or Succession, um, with the idea that like not everyone is of the same mind. It's not a hive mind voting on these awards. And so even though we might all love Watchmen, there's a chance that maybe the voters wouldn't respond the same way that we do. Sure, sure. There, I mean, I think increasingly if 2020 has taught us everything, it's that we all have our own little individual bubbles and 
our bubbles don't necessarily intersect at all um, for health and safety reasons. But, uh, but yeah, like when, when we're making predictions, when I'm sitting down and being like, okay, realistically, what can Watchmen win or what can Watchmen get nominated for? Uh, I like to think I'm being realistic, but with no actual buzz to, to watch and knowing that I love the show more than a lot of people, I pull back a little bit. Like I hope Louis Gossett Jr. would get in, but not a lot of other people were saying that. And like, and I chose him over Yaya and I chose him over, um, I, I think I, I, I also, I don't know if I had Jeremy Irons in there. And, and the same thing happens with Succession. It's like, okay, well, I'll give myself this nomination, but it would be crazy to think that they would get nine acting nominees overall. Um, so you pull yourself back a little bit because it's it's kind of beyond your wildest dreams um, that something like that would happen. And, and, and because there are other areas in which you will miss completely and some of your favorite shows will be completely snubbed and uh, you have to try and prepare for that too. Well, to take that, uh, to take that kind of idea and run with it a little bit, when I was looking at the drama series nominees, uh, like just kind of after the morning onslaught of information and I just took a step back and was like, okay, so what are these shows? Like, what do they have in common? And I was wrong about a good number of, of the drama nominations. Um, but when you look at the ones that actually made the cut, the commonality seems to be a point that Libby raised last year and that we were focused on very heavily while Game of Thrones was coming out and we were watching that dominate, which is just accessibility and popularity. Um, the shows that get seen get nominated. And that may not be entirely true for individual categories where the branches of the Academy vote, where it's like it has to, like the actors have to decide or the directors have to decide. But when you're looking at something for on a series scale, when everybody gets to vote for it, popularity is incredibly important. And when you look at these nominees led by the, one of the biggest surprises of the day, which was The Mandalorian, that's a huge hit. The Mandalorian was arguably the biggest show of the winter, I guess, or the end of the year, start of the year, however you want to look at it. Um, and then you've got that followed up with something like The Handmaid's Tale, which has always performed very, very well for Hulu. The Crown, which has always performed very, very well for Netflix. Stranger Things, which is one of the biggest shows out there. And even though it had been a year since it had been on the air, the third season still got in. I mean, there was intense competition for that third slot, and it still made the cut. Uh, Ozark has been a huge ratings hit. Killing Eve was a massive ratings hit for BBC America and has been riding the coattails of that Phoebe Waller bridge you know, phenomenon for over the last two years. And it, it held on. It still got eight nominations. Uh, Better Call Saul is one of those things where it's a legacy show. So it held on to get the drama series nomination, but it's, we saw it falter elsewhere completely unexpectedly when Bob Odenkirk, Rhea Seahorn again, and uh, even Jonathan Banks didn't get nominated. So there were surprises, but when you look at those nominees succession is kind of the one that doesn't quite fit its ratings are really good it has kind of a, a cult obsession around it but it's not an undeniably popular show and the rest of them pretty much are so it'll be curious to kind of see if that passionate fan base and passionate feeling around succession is able to keep driving it forward toward wins uh but yeah the rest of them have been extremely well viewed. I just kind of broke this down just cause like there is a lot sort of we're people still processing the nominees this morning, but uh, I kind of broke things into three sections and we can go whichever order you guys want to work this. But like, obviously 
most egregious snub or, or something you're very upset that that didn't happen uh most pleasant surprise and then a bonus like grab bag with what were they thinking but uh whatever you guys want whichever order you guys want to work this i'm in. confused by the what were you what were they thinking category what does that mean so to me it was to me what were they thinking is sort of like why so many mandalorian <laughs> like that was that was one of the things that was in my <laughs> Like yeah, it's a yeah. It's but... a nice it's a nice kid show. We don't need to make it a best drama, do we? <laughs> it's the next Game of Thrones. That's what they've done. That's what we've leaned into now, and that's so exciting. Except it's not. It's terrible. And now I'm back in this circular hell of watching fucking garbage fantasy shows for something that doesn't fit in the idea of like they fucked this up. Or I was so glad this happened, okay. but just like this was odd. Like here's an odd thing that happened that I'm I've not got sure a, why this happened. I got a I got a okay, kind of okay. a twist but on I what like, you were thinking. All right, go. Ben. I like yours, Leo. We should talk about yours. So I was reading as much of the like the coverage kind of surrounding um, surrounding the nominations as I could, just kind of getting you know people's immediate reactions to it. And uh, one that I noticed from Inku Kang over at, at THR was that. Um, the, the storyline, the predominant storyline of the morning was kind of how how well the TV Academy did with nominating people of color. There were a lot of black actors. I think it was a record-breaking number of, like, percentage of black actors in the acting categories. Um, but kind of related to what we were just talking about, that didn't carry over to the best series, like comedy and drama. The comedy and drama series that have been nominated are extremely white shows. They are... In fact, six of the eight comedies feature an all-white cast, aside from Insecure and The Good Place. But the the idea that that people are are very aware to look at kind of the specifics without looking at their at the like kind of grander viewing experience and kind of what they want to spotlight as a whole. This is to me like extremely like focused on the idea that Rami got Mahershala Ali, it got Rami Youssef, it got a directing nod, like it did well on the individual levels, but it didn't get the comedy nomination that we really expected to see it get. Um, so like they're, they're just kind of, it's just kind of this, this interesting question of, okay, like on a broad scale, like on an individual scale, there's some accountability, there's some eagerness to kind of embrace and look for, for different people and look for, um, like look to be inclusive in a lot of ways. But on the kind of like, we're just going to pick our favorite programs, it's still very focused on a white demographic of shows. I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to cop out here. Like, I, um, I don't want to do the whole, well, the reason there are so many white shows, because there's so many white shows and this and this and that. And with performances, we can pick and choose, but whatever. Um, I mean, but then you also- have things like What We Do in the Shadows, which ostensibly has. Um, a Latinx lead who didn't get nominated. And, and that's like, you know, the, um, it's great that they are making progress with um, black performers. Um, there is a lot more diversity to be had. Um, and yeah, not just in performances, uh, in shows, behind the scenes, like, directing writers below the line like like it's good like they like the emmys get a c plus um but plenty of room for improvement like let's not like maybe a b minus maybe we'll round it compared to like some of the awful oscar years we've had recently you know good effort yeah it's almost like you have to you have to grade on a curve because things have been so bad it's like yeah yeah 
I guess this is good because things have been awful for so long. No, I was just I was just going to say it's interesting to see that again like a lot of the dramas that have a more diverse cast, they included those actors to be nominated. Like Billy Porter got nominated for Pose. Uh, uh, Sterling K. Brown and Felicia Rashad and Ron Sevis Jones got nominated for This Is Us. Um, Tandy Newton, Jeffrey Wright got nominated for Westworld, but none of those shows got nominated. And all of those were considered to be pretty top-level contenders and have been nominated in the past, so it's like they just they just chose differently this year. And they, they looked well. very specifically at what was good about those shows, which, again, with This Is Us, it's hard to blame them. The, like, Randall's storyline and everyone surrounding Randall is the only great part of that show. So, Redeeming, right. So yeah, I'm not mad about This Is Us falling out because obviously it's disappointing. It, obviously, it's really disappointing to see Pose fall out, especially because there was no need for it to fall out. There was plenty of room in that category to keep Pose in. It sort of it links back to what you were saying earlier about the fact that like because there are different branches voting, there's no like one-to-one. Like, And it's weird looking at it as like a total room, like you want to see consistency across the board. And it's very strange to be like, where's Rami in the comedy series? If it's getting all this love in all these other categories, like it's, it's very strange. That was what was so funny listening to the nominees this morning is like hearing the Mandalorian. The first time we hear the Mandalorian said is in the announcement of the very last category, which is ostensibly the big one. For drama series, and I was like, "Wait, did they just say Mandalorian?" Because like <laughs> I was writing, and I was like, "I that wasn't on my list. Like, why wasn't that on my list?" Right? Because it's uh, the fucking Mandalorian. Um, but as far as like my, what were they thinking? I, I guess um, I just I have to look at the Kaminsky method, and the reason I have to look at the Kaminsky method. It's because I think I'm the only one looking at the Kaminsky method because I'm not convinced anyone else has actually seen this show. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I really don't understand how this show did so well. I don't actually know anyone who has watched it. It's very curious to me that it seems to get three nominations in each of its series and each of its seasons, and apparently this year that means comedy series. It's offensive to me, and I'm like, I don't know a more politically correct way to say that. Like, I just... So last year, for its first season, the Kaminsky Method's nominations were Outstanding Supporting Actor for Mm -hmm. Alan Arkin, Outstanding Lead Actor for Michael Douglas, an outstanding sound mixing for a comedy or drama series, half hour and animation. Great. So this year for season two, they're like, yes, more Michael Douglas. Yes, more Alan Arkin. No, more sound mixing. That apparently took a big dive in season two. But you know what? The overall show quality is good enough that now we're going to give you a comedy series nomination. You know what? Netflix, a successful Netflix comedy never got a comedy series nomination in this, like, genre. Grace and Frankie. Yeah, that's And that's the thing. That's that's what gets me, is that here we have this Chuck Lorre show. So it's an old white dude making a show with two old white dudes um and yet a far more critically acclaimed series made by an old white woman starring two old white women 
can get some amount of Emmy love, but never break through into comedy series. Like there is just something, there is something inherently patriarchal about the system that it's like, well, this is awards worthy. Whereas this is just talking about menopause. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic point because like the Kaminsky method probably wouldn't even exist without Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie was one of the, one of the streamers first really big hits and showed that they could survive with that uh, like older generation of viewers that they could get them to tune into a program and, and obsess over it long enough that it would get this many seasons. It would still get awards play. It would still get, and it, and it got, you know, great critical acclaim. And that was a half hour sitcom coming from a, the creators of a, uh, multicam sitcom or a, a multicam sitcom. Like that was very popular friends trying yeah, to do a single cam popular. sitcom. Yeah. And that's exactly what Chuck Lorre did. He went from that world to this world. He brought two older actors that everybody loves along with them. He tried to build another version of it about. And, you know, while Grace and Frankie evolved into like, I mean, insanely great dynamics about like the fear of death and what it means to like kind of be a, a parent who, when your children start to think of you as enfeebled and, and, you know, they're trying to take care of you and you're not ready for that. Like a lot of deeper conversations. The Kaminsky method never evolved beyond P jokes where the prostate's getting too big and I can't sleep tonight. And oh boy, that's a problem. So I, I, I don't think I ever really thought about it as directly as you just put it, but that's such a, wonderful illustration of kind of amazing women laying the groundwork for men to take credit for later on. Like this podcast. <laughs> uh, we talked a little bit about it. My, my, what were they thinking was just as, as Libby mentioned in the big category for best drama series this morning, when the Mandalorian got read, I was like, huh, <laughs> that's a thing. I mean, I, th- I think sure. I think I always expected to do pretty well in the in the craft categories. Obviously, they created that huge LED wall that allowed them to shoot, you know, uh, mostly everything uh, without the aid of green screen. But I think to see it in the best drama series category was just sort of a, a mind bender because I know Ben jokingly referred to it as the next Game of Thrones, but like I, as someone who enjoyed Game of Thrones, they're very different things, and this feels more like kids show does not feel the same as like a best drama at the emmys i think like that's totally valid and actually something that i started thinking about just now um especially given ben's earlier comments about like the studios and like the number breakdowns of things there's a lot a lot a lot a lot of people in the industry right now that's that have a paycheck signed by a mouse like there are a lot of conspiracy theories in, and when it comes to Emmy voting about um, unspoken mandates, about what shows you support, what shows you don't support, how you're filing your ballots, um, that led to murmurs around um, kind of behemoths, like when everyone was getting paid by everyone and their dog had a show or someone or a gig on Netflix or uh, say HBO, you know, you go in, you vote for Game of Thrones, and you get out. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a certain amount of pressure to support the home team when it came to the Mandalorian on the ballots, on especially on those tech ballots. Um, 
I'm sure they're a big organization. I'm sure they have a lot of people on the payroll. And um, it probably a lot more people making a lot less money than uh, whoever's working for Apple. Um, you know, it's just something to keep in mind. Like there's a lot, especially with, as good friend Frank Sherma says, 23,000 industry professionals within the Television Academy, that's just a lot of people um, and a lot of unseen dynamics at play uh, that, that could be contributing to the Mandalorian picking up 15 nomination, Emmy nominations. Uh, really, none of them above the line, save for drama series. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the most specific example of that that I've heard in the past was uh, it cropped up when The Simpsons missed the cut for the first time in like 20 years for Best Animated Series. And then when it won last year, almost like just completely out of nowhere, people were like, what, The Simpsons again? How did that win? Like, I thought it was finally BoJack's year. And, you know, a lot of people wisely pointed out that the animation branch is obviously, you know, very tight and focused around, you know, animation uh, and that The Simpsons has been pumping out animation for 30 plus years and that a lot of people have, you know, either spent time working on The Simpsons or working with people who work on The Simpsons or involved in that organization or know those people and it just broadens out and out and out and out especially as all of those people keep getting nominated over the years, whether they're for writing episodes or, or producing episodes. So um, they've kind of engendered, like they've kind of built their own little universe of voters who are always going to be like, well, the Simpsons, I love the Simpsons. And, you know, I didn't watch a lot of other stuff. So uh, again, like it's, it's an interesting one, two combination of, of loyalty and uh, accessibility, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I am not happy that the Mandalorian is in. I I see it. You are completely correct in that it's a completely different show than Game of Thrones. But I long before Game of Thrones started winning big awards, I wrote that it never needed to. It was always the blockbuster TV show that existed, kind of like Avatar at the Oscars, where it was just like you know, uh, great. I'm glad that people are paying attention to the to the you know, um, the craft that's being applied to this. And that deserves a lot of acclaim, but you have to recognize the difference between what else is going on between the writing, the performances, the actual design of the season. Uh, and you have to take that and compare it to what these other dramas are working with, especially on broadcast where they're writing, you know, 23 episodes a season and, and, <laughs> and having to design things on a minimal budget and say, those are two different beasts. So let's let the blockbuster have its day with the ratings and the money. And we're going to honor the things that are actually great artistic works over here. And I think a lot of that can be said for the Mandalorian as well. It's like, great, give it the craft attention, but to call it one of the best dramas to put it up there next to succession. That's just, it's just, not right like it doesn't feel right it doesn't look right i i really it bothers me and not to beat a dead horse it's an ad for disney it's not to be a dead horse but you got the witcher sitting right there in that <laughs> steaming hot tub we've been going 50 minutes and we haven't even gotten to snubs and surprises this is going to be a supersized pod um libby do you want to start with what your what you thought the most egregious snub was in a day that maybe was full filled with a lot of them <sighs> God, I don't like egregious. Uh, you know, I don't want to step on anyone's toes, so I will keep to my own lane, I guess, maybe on this, and give both of you plenty of runway for Leo to come back to The Witcher. Uh, I was just gonna say you're gonna talk about Henry Cavill. Is I, that what I, I was. I don't. I don't know how you don't nominate Elizabeth Moss, and like that's not just us having her on the podcast. That's like the fact that she's 
one of the top three actresses of her generation delivering an all-time performance on a show that lives and dies on her performance. Um, if you don't want to nominate Elizabeth Moss in in a drama actress, then you don't like Handmaid's Tale that much. So free up its spot and give it to someone else. Like, I just... Um, I don't like, you know, we talk about this a lot. We don't like snubs. No one deserves, no one has it coming. But I mean, if you're going to do awards under these auspices of recognizing the best performances, then, you know, do that. I would qualify what you just said with some people do have it coming. Um, And I would also say that uh, if you would have told me that Elizabeth Moss wasn't going to get nominated, then I would have absolutely said that Handmaids would have been out for dramas. I was yeah. like, well, that's okay. Rough year. They waited too long or something. But See also fucking oof. Odenkirk. See Aaron Paul. Like, I don't understand what the actors are doing. Uh, yeah, I'll get out the, the collective uh, snub choice. We are, as a whole, as a, as a critical mass, as a podcast, as, uh, as a fandom, very upset that Pamela Adlon and better things were completely shut out of the 2020 Emmys. Um, it's frankly embarrassing for the Television Academy that Pamela wasn't nominated for Best Director. Uh, it makes it less meaningful for the people that were nominated, knowing that the best among them aren't competing against one of the most innovative creative voices on television. Um, I think plenty of them would have volunteered their spot for somebody like Adlon, especially who's just so respected and beloved within the industry itself. And to see what she's done over the past few seasons of better things is just unbelievably exciting. Um, as we've mentioned earlier in the podcast, there's a lot of reasons why this show hasn't been able to gain traction, but that doesn't make it any more heartbreaking to see it fall short, especially in a year when it felt like we were going to have a lot of turnover in the comedy race. We did see a lot of turnover in the comedy race And it always felt like Better Things was kind of sitting there on the bubble in the past few years, just being edged out by, you know, the elites like Veep or the, you know, um, the out of nowhere huge hits like Fleabag. Like there was just always a reason where it was like, okay, that didn't quite make it, but now it can. Now it should. And it still And it turns out it was just Modern Family and uh, Will and Grace. Before I get on my Witcher rant. I'll say that the other things that sort of like surprised, like were like negative surprises, like snubs, like the fact that Tim Blake Nelson wasn't nominated uh, for best supporting. I think the fact that Rami and Pose were snubbed in their respective uh, show categories. Um, and then I think my personal favorite show of 2020 devs only got four nominations, but yeah, the Witcher, not a single nom, not a VFX nom, not a not a sound mixing or sound editing nom. I think people really thought it was going to get the song. I thought they, <laughs> I thought to us according to The Witcher was like the one of the bigger locks of the night. But listen, you listen, can't listen. Them. And this number one. Okay, so I have two different points here. Number one, I mean, Leo, they didn't nominate the Succession score in its first season. Sometimes they just get things wrong. So, what were your guys' most pleasant surprises? That's how I wrote it in the doc. I don't remember. You don't remember if you were surprised pleasantly by anything? I, I think I was. I just don't remember what it was. Um, well, you've rattled off. You've said a few already. I've said many about, of them here. We're, we're very happy about Succession, obviously. Those nine uh, acting nominations are great. 
Yeah, that, that incredibly happy. Like, honestly, as soon as Jeremy Strong was announced this morning, I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't have to murder anyone today. Uh, so it was a good day. Um, but uh, also Watchmen doing so phenomenally well, just largely across the board was great. Uh, I was, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if I have a little, like, like little pocket happiness, but, uh, for now, what we do in the shadow showing up in comedy series was, was a great thing. And something I, because I had not listened to the podcast until, uh, this afternoon, I had not even thought to myself to consider. And, uh, that was, that was, that was a delight. That was like getting a birthday present early, um, for sure. Ben, what's your surprise? Uh, what Libby, surprised Libby. and delighted you? You actually said everyone that I had written down. Um, so I'll say oh, no. specifically for what we do in the shadows, as soon as it got nominated for comedy series, I immediately searched the ballot or the, the list, the nominations list for writing to see if Stephanie Robinson's episode on the run, AKA the Jackie Daytona episode was nominated. And it was along with two others. It got three writing nominations, which what is are just, the other yeah. two. I haven't gotten a chance to go look. Yeah, no. And, and again, like all three of them getting nominated kind of in bulk is such a nice little, like a, an amazing, nice little surprise. Um, I will say that again, Stephanie Robinson is just a fan, like a, a personal favorite. Like her writing is incredible. She was on Atlanta. She, uh, she's on the new season of Fargo whenever we get to see that. And, um, this show though was when I, I think I talked to her last year, uh, was the show that she really wanted to do. Like she really wants to make kind of silly comedies, uh, and just have a lot of fun in the writing. And she was so excited to be able to get the chance to do that with this, to see her kind of, take it to this level of popularity and then also get a nomination for it is fantastic. Um, and then just on the, on the heels of, of Watchmen as we're all very excited and we'll be talking about this for the next, you know, couple months. Forever. Um, there was a lot of love given to people who had another show in common. Uh, most of them also made Watchmen, but some of them made other shows uh, as well who got nominated. But Regina King was a nominee. Yovana mm-hmm. Depo was a nominee. Liza Richardson, mm-hmm. shout out for Liza Richardson, nominee. Mimi Leader got nominated for The Morning yeah. Show. Of course, yeah. Damon got nominated. And um, mm-hmm. there's there's a theory that's just floating around out there. I don't know how much stock we should put into it but um, oh you know what god i want to stop you for a second i gotta tell you about the craziest theory i heard today <laughs> on the internet what was it what was wait it, what Libby? what's that you wanna okay you go no, first no, no. you want me to you do go I, first I, okay you well go the craziest ahead. the craziest theory that i've heard i don't know if i'd call it crazy is so much as as very insightful really like just targeting in on, on, a, on, a, yeah. on the, the mm-hmm. energy of the of the emmys is that um Really, these Watchmen nominations, these this twenty six, like so many nominations, um, is kind of like, uh, like payback, like um, like correcting a mistake for the leftovers, mm-hmm. uh, which only got one nomination in its third season for the Great Antoud, who you know horribly wasn't nominated for Handmaid's Tale this year, which is would have been a nice little addition to the leftovers yeah, love. But um uh, I don't have any real big surprises. I think Zendaya and Paul Mescal getting nominated. Would have been great if you great. started that with not that anybody asked. Not that anyone asked. Um but I was actually gonna what? say left or not leftovers. Wow, it's on the brain now. <laughs> 
I've got him. Gonna... Podcast starts next week. But I was pleasantly surprised to to the the way we started the podcast with Libby talking about booing one's uh, expectations, but the fact that it's rare that like the thing that you think is the best is also the thing that seems to be celebrated the most. Yeah, so it is rare. So seeing <laughs> so seeing twenty six nominations for Watchmen was. Uh, startling and uh, surprising, and the fact that it, you know it went across the board. There were some nominations for its summer and running out of ice. There was little fear of lightning. There was this extraordinary being, like different episodes getting spotlighted. Liza, as you mentioned, Trent and Atticus, like the casting, sound design, the production design, and an important show in our current climate. Honestly, like I, I never expected. Um... I guess maybe I should now after last year with Fleabag, but I really never expected my two of my top shows of 2019 to to come to a cumulative like 44 Emmy nominations. Um, that's mm-hmm. bananas. Uh, it's usually the Emmys don't get it right, and it kind of freaks me out that they did on some huge level and I'm just waiting for the bottom to fall out now. So yay, 2020. Uh, well, Libby, it's that time in the podcast. We didn't do this last week because you weren't here, but I just searched Quibi on Google and here are the top things we got. Oh, here we go. Do you not know? Had you not heard? Oh, oh, I know. Quibi's (laughs) recipe for winning an Emmy without really trying that's from The Verge. <laughs> Varieties. Quibi earns 10 Emmy nominations in Bright Spot for Struggling Streamer. And I think my favorite headline, Gizmodo, I refuse to believe this, is the headline. <laughs> Man, Verge and Gizmodo, those were good headlines. Nicely done. Um, so yeah, Quibi was nominated for 10, count them, 10 Emmy Awards. Granted, they're all in the short form uh, comedy or drama series. So today, this morning, Quibi accomplished a feat that um, the longest-running sitcom in the history of television, live-action, has not been able to do. Do you know what that is? No. It got Caitlin Olsen an Emmy nomination. (laughs) Yikes. So it's always she could she couldn't get nominated for it's always sunny over the course of fifteen years, not once, but but one one quibby movie cut into a TV show applied to a Forte? short form category, boom, Emmy nominee. I do like that the other things the shows are competing against are essentially uh, like web web series that these other shows do. The Good Place presents the selection Star Trek, Star Trek, Short Treks, Better Call Saul Employee Training Ethics with Kim Wexler. Those are the That's other mean. things that are nominated. That's nominated yeah. alongside Reno 911 and Most Dangerous Game. Yeah, here are the, the things. Like, here are the things. The, like, this is what Quibi did. Quibi is now playing in, like, fucking web space. Like, it's going up against, like, fucking good things like Netflix, like special on Netflix or State of the Union on Sundance um, or, you know, an Emmy for Megan. Uh, but it's like, it's, it's their little, yeah, they, it's going up against things that often function as just like add-on content for other places. Can we just acknowledge that the 
I don't know, the ironic tragedy, the, the digging the, the knife in deeper and twisting it reality that Rhea Seahorn wasn't nominated again, but her character was nominated in that show title, The Better Call Saul Employee Training Legal Ethics with Kim Wexler. And she's not a producer on that video. So she wasn't even nominated for that. So like her character's name is in it and now an Emmy nominee, but she still can't get, that's just, I, how? I will say from my root perspective, it's interesting that like Quibi is doing the exact opposite of what something like Netflix did when it started competing in these categories where it's like, no, we're just like the big boys and we can do all the things that you guys do, even though we're a streamer. And Quibi's like, no, we're like YouTube. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video of Bjork talking about TV and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson, our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Anne Donahue. Our least favorite Emmy snubs are John Hamm for Curb Your Enthusiasm, Rose Byrne for Mrs. America, and the Mythic Quest Quarantine episode for writing and or directing. I stand by that. That would have been something I could have seen the voters do to celebrate something that tried to make a show during quarantine. They didn't do it, but whatever. Um, And our Millions of Screens least favorite Emmy snub is Better Things. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Lee Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, so leave a review and let us know what you think. If it's good, we might read it on the air. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. (laughs)